0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis, strategy director, and Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Day New York.
1: All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Christina Pater, who is the CEO and author of The Hollywood Approach. Christina is a world-class marketer and storyteller. Her platform, The Hollywood Approach, leverages the art and neuroscience of story to help people get better results in business and in life. Christina, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast.
2: Rob, Asha, I am delighted to be here. Thanks for joining us.
1: All right, now, Christina, let me start with a disruption, okay? And this was an event that disrupted your life. So if I say to you, waterfall and Dominican Republic, you say what?
2: Jump. (laughs) But something happened
1: in your life with this waterfall. So maybe take our listeners into this world that disrupted your life, and then we'll get into all your other cool stuff.
2: All right, cool. Do a little rewind here. So... The story is, after I led a rescue of two kids in a riptide in Mexico many years ago, three years later, I began having panic attacks in the water. Only in the water. Never had them before. So my first reaction to having a panic attack, as I'm cliff diving off cliffs of Capri and doing my usual crazy stunts, I'm like, no way, can't be having a panic attack. I'm a certified diver. I've loved the water my whole life, yada, yada. And so fast forward to 10 years later, and I'm now having, they're getting increasingly worse. So debilitating. I'm putting one foot in one pool in my Brentwood house. It would be interesting if I put one foot in multiple pools, but that's not what happened. One foot, one pool, had an attack that took me out. And that was when I had the idea, okay, this obviously it's getting worse. The next step seems like it might be I might not be able to take a shower or a bath without a panic attack, so this is kind of bad. I'm ready to pay attention now. Perhaps it's real. Okay. But then it was like, well, I'm stuck. What do I do about this? Because I was not intellectually or emotionally connected or connecting the panic with the water, I just kept going for it. I'm like, great. We're roping. We're scuba diving in Sydney. We're whatever. We're surfing. So anyway, at that point, that was in the first quarter of 2013. And I thought, okay, I really have to find an answer. And I really have to find a cure because this is, uh, you know, two-thirds of the world is water. And I'm lost without being in a pool. and, And it's the way my nephew and niece and I have fun and all these things. So I was very desperate for an answer. I was desperate for forward movement. And so it's one of those points in your life where... I don't know if you guys have had this, or maybe your listeners have had this, where I personally started asking all gods and guides from all religions. I'm just like swiveling around in my chair in my Los Angeles apartment going, I'm open for information. Show me the way. And I ended up, my cousin was getting married here in the Dominican Republic, and I was being lobbied to attend the wedding. And so I looked up the DR and what else there was to do here. And I found this place called 27 Waterfalls. Mm. 27 Waterfalls is where you hike up for two hours. And to get back down, you jump into each of the falls. Wow. And I thought all the things I attempted in this life disruption, all the sort of exposure therapy and the, oh, let me just try to jump in my friend's pool this one time. I thought, no, 27 jumps, that's the way. I thought, full exposure therapy, I'm in. And when I saw it, I knew it in an instant. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And not only was that what I was doing, I sold all my things in Los Angeles. I gave myself a no deadline. I thought maybe it would take a week. But just to be sure, I sold all my stuff and I just thought, well, I'm just going to go there and then I'll pop back and I'll do some more traveling or something. And it's now eight years later and I am still here.
1: So your big disruption was kind of breaking this fear through literally just jumping into a waterfall or 27 of them.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, that's
2: one way to do it, right? <laughs> that is one way. It yeah. isn't the most subtle way anyone's ever heard. It's one way, yes. Yeah. I mean, one thing with you, you know, you give you an inch, you take a mile, right? So, yeah. Like, let's play ball. I'm like, you want a piece of me? Panic attack? right? Let's go. You know,
0: speaking of radical approaches, your book, The Hollywood Approach, is really a guide to applying the principles of Hollywood screenwriting to real life, which is fascinating to us. And it's really in order to help people achieve their goals. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So I've been doing, so a sort of con- for context, I've been doing this. I've been screenwriting and studying the craft and practicing the craft of screenwriting for 23 years now. So I began early in my advertising and marketing career, following a brief stint in journalism. And so for me, I've been living and doing this parallel track for 23 years now. So the crossover is very obvious to me. So you might have to poke at me once of all to be like, wait, what? Because I see it as very much similar, perhaps because when I began, I was writing like, you know, sort of autobiographical romantic comedies. Perhaps they were therapeutic, what to do after a breakup kind of a thing or what I did after a breakup may have involved international travel as well. It kind of seems to be a theme. But that aside, the crossover between the Hollywood approach and real life is that it's all about a character who has a goal and the obstacles that are going to keep that character from achieving their goal. And so it's about problem solving. It's a Mm -hmm. way of thinking. It's a way of attempting a solution to reaching a goal or to solving a problem.
1: So that's... kind of applying a hero's journey to life.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating too, because the more
0: creative and interesting ways that the character actually goes about solving that problem, usually the more interesting the movie is, right? And so it's fascinating that it sounds so obvious when you say it like that, but <laughs> you know, thinking about alternate approaches to achieving your goals and solving your own problems in your, in your own life. You know, the Oscars are fast approaching, something that we're all very fascinated and excited about. And many of this year's Best Picture nominees, including Minari, Judas and the Black Messiah, Nomadland, The Child of Chicago 7, they really focus on human-centered stories or historically relevant stories that are not often seen on the big screen. Do you really think that there's a reason that we are seeing this shift in sort of the types of films that are being celebrated based on? The type of year that we've
2: had. Sure. Well, looking at the way that the Oscars works and the way that the voting works is that first of all, in 2021, there are 9,300, almost 10,000 eligible Oscar voters, wow. and mm-hmm. that's up 50 percent from just seven years ago in 2015. Oh, okay. and so those voters come from 17 different branches of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, yeah. and those branches are branches like actors, directors guilds, writers guilds, editors, all the different people. So, all the different people and all the different roles that go into filmmaking. So, I think that the shift in the kinds of films we're seeing or the or the shift in the films over you could say over the last 93 years that the Academy Awards has been in existence reflects the cadre of current voices and in our case today in 2021 the expansion of current voices yeah. so it's a reflection of what the industry creatives and mm-hmm. participants who are in these groups and these guilds are wanting and are, are celebrating so it's a reflection of their choices and I think that makes sense, because obviously in recent years, the Oscars have been
0: criticized to a degree for a bit of Absolutely. a, a homogenous uh, voting group, mm-hmm. to, to say mm-hmm. the least. And so it's interesting to kind of see not only communities of color being represented in this year's nominees, but also female directors and a big shift from maybe what we saw seven years ago, to your, to your point. I think that is a fascinating statistic in that it's a 50 percent increase in the number of judges i think at least from my perspective i would have thought you know shuffling around judges but it's like literally just adding new people okay (laughs) Mm. increasing the number of people that are voting versus changing it but i think that's great i think it feels like we're heading in the right direction yes please
1: (laughs) yeah but i want to jump back though to your book for a second and we'll come back to the oscars even though nomad Land is going to win everything that's excellent <laughs> but i want to come back to this book so on the hollywood approach i mean it's it's it seems like a an intuitive premise although not obvious which is hey apply the rules of hollywood to your life so i wonder if maybe you can talk a little bit about i don't know you're a lawyer and you're tired of being a lawyer, what what happens? They pick up your book. What happens? Maybe you're not tired of being a lawyer. Maybe you're a lawyer, but you want to be a more interesting lawyer. But let's <laughs> let's take a lawyer, uh, a suburban lawyer, maybe living I don't know suburbs of Philadelphia. They pick up your book. What happens?
2: All right. So they pick up the book. It depends if they're the kind of person that are going to do the exercises or just read the exercises. So let's let's assume that this lawyer is very. Diligent and wants to do the exercises like some of my other Philadelphia readers that they really are looking for their next adventure their next big thing they want to do their wildest dream. so whether they know what that wildest dream is or not. They can go through the book and they do, first of all, they do an analysis of three of their past success stories, so I have people choose. Three past success stories. If you know what your goal is, you wanna be more a more interesting lawyer, was the example. Okay, great, let's pick three times in your life and try to think of the moment, not just like, oh, in 1998, I was such an interesting person, but in 1998, when I was faced with this challenge of X, Y, and Z, being specific, I felt that I was very interesting and I would like to recapture that. So naming, choosing three success stories, In the past, I like to have people, I encourage people to go as far back as they can. So I like to get like Boy Scout, Girl Scout examples, first sporting team, some award you won as a kid because we have a bit more perspective and we have just a bit more diplomacy and observation skills versus judgment skills with ourselves. We tend to be able to eke out some of these character beats of ourselves. And then they go through the whole process of my 14 chapters of dissecting those stories and looking for gems looking for where oh you know sometimes people inevitably when when they're doing the work will say things like i always knew this one thing and it might be something like i always knew i was creative or i always knew you know my best friend becky supported me through all these things. But when I wrote it down in the exercises and saw it on paper, like people just start getting goosebumps, like, oh my god, it was this revelation that like, I have to call Becky. <laughs> and then that leads to, you know, the next thing and the next thing. And it leads to kind of the, not only the spirit and the energy and an answer or filling in the blank on paper, but it leads to this emotional response, which is where we're really resonating internally. And sometimes, subconsciously, which is the level that story works. And so sometimes there's things that happen in this work and this diving in our own stories that releases information that we might not even be consciously aware of. And often we are, but we might not be. So we go through all the same steps as I would do to create a hero on screen. So we look at the past successes. We analyze your character DNA, which I have broken down very simply to three things, strengths, superpowers mm. and what I call flawsomeness, which you can see weaknesses, you can see your flaws, but with flaws also comes awesomeness. We want it to be very comfortable for people to access. Uh, and, and also, I don't like people judging themselves. I really want people to observe and to be able to take it in and be like, you know what? I'm the, lo- I'm the suburban lawyer and guess what? I'm low tech or I'm slow tech if they're like me. And I, you know, I sit around with my bouquet of Big four color pen still, but that's okay. You know what I mean? It's like, great. What can we do with that? What kind of partners do we need? Do we need a little more time when we're doing things?
1: So that's interesting. So, so the first step, I think this is, this is fascinating. So the first step for our lawyer and for people who want to take this Hollywood approach is to kind of look at for, for our lawyer here, she's looking at something in a very emotional way. And if her typical day as a lawyer, she's probably quite rational. And I think there's something just in that act that might, you know, start to open up uh, as you say, this, this character development.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, from the story as we analyze it and we, especially when people think about it as the lawyer thinks about it over the days, as she, you know, goes to bed and she does the next chapter and the next chapter. So we start talking about what is the goal? The other big thing in here that people really resonate with, and that really has ramifications on all different aspects and dimensions of our character and of our life is goal setting. And many business people, and especially lawyers, will be very familiar with the term SMART goal. And of course, we don't use SMART goals in Hollywood. We don't say it that way, but we're using the same thing. And so for people who might not be familiar or it might be a memory, SMART is an acronym that stands for specific measurable achievable relevant and time based mm-hmm. and in my professional career i uh when i was a senior vp of marketing and research we managed a 10 billion dollar company hotel real estate company using smart goals and checking in with them twice a year p.s the company is now a 15 billion dollar company oh. so <laughs> I, I mean it's not you know but was well, pretty it's not, smart yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where anytime I think we get clarity and you absolutely, when you're working on a movie, you better know who that character is and you better know what their goal is. That's how people get involved and that's how people get on board with the story.
1: That's and really so, interesting. Uh, yeah. I'll just jump in, and I'm going to open up to Asha too. But yeah, it reminds me of something that uh, David Mamet has expressed in a number of places where on any given scene... He says you can have two people a chair and, and and two chairs. He said, but in the scene, what does one person want and what does the other person want? And it's the wanting to a certain moment that when someone gets what they want and scene. So I think the smart thing and the goal setting again relates back to Hollywood in terms of each character wants something.
2: Absolutely.
0: But it's sort Absolutely. of identifying what you want, I think, is it's very easy to identify what your goals are in a professional sense or in a business sense in terms of what does the business need to do in order to achieve success. But it's less crystal clear when you start to apply that to your own life. And something that I find is fascinating as well that you said, Christina, is how much of this is rooted in the subconscious. How much when you think about as a human being you know when you start to plot out what you actually want out of life you know in, in chair number two you know what, what what does that actually mean for you what does success mean for your own life is not necessarily kind of as clear and and it's it's interesting that that also applies to movies because sometimes you relate to a movie, even on a subconscious level. Like you didn't even know that you were going to relate with that character in some capacity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because, and, and story works on the subconscious level. So that's where I like to encourage people to be playing and I call it nurturing your subconscious yeah. because your, our subconscious mind works 1000 times Faster than our conscious mind. So we've all seen out there now. There's a lot of talk about habits and building habits and 21 days to make a habit and this and that. Yeah. The reason that that's so important is because left to our own devices and we're trying to make conscious choices, like 95% of our choices are made by our subconscious mind. So we've got to when you know when we hear like sort of the trope of put your shoes out before you know the night before in your workout clothes if you want to go to the gym or pour your glass of water, whatever the thing is, there's a reason for that. Like there's a really good reason for that. And the neuroscience backs that up. So I think understanding that rather than, you know, sometimes we feel like people are telling us what to do and like, I don't want to put my clothes on before, or whatever, whatever <laughs> resistance we have, right. We feel we're like, Oh, that's because you know, whatever it's, it's, it makes it easier for us to be successful and to be moving forward on that path toward what we want. Right. And
0: in my case, no, you're not OCD just because you do the same things all the time. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> hey, on this, um,
1: on this neuroscience and story, I think this is interesting. Uh, I'm with you. I, I've, I've read a little bit about this, uh, even to the point of uh, when somebody says, hey, listen, I want to tell you a story, you lean in. In fact, I think I just heard some of our listeners lean in when I said, hey, let me tell you a story. I mean, Christina, maybe you can unpack a little bit more about the neuroscience of story. What is it about stories that we are attracted to them?
2: Yeah, I'd love to explain the Netflix and binge and why that is legit. And there's some new neuroscience out, new studies out in the last maybe 10 years maybe 15 years that we have access to that show us what's going on and how story affects the brain. Whereas in the 60s and 70s, we had stuff like how reading affects the brain and how writing affects the brain and why some of those things are important and can also be moving us forward. But story is a whole nother level. So what has been done is there's been measurements of the brain broken down into seven areas and I'm not going to get it all amygdala on everybody and explain all the parts because those are just words. I mean, for most people, I can totally geek out about it with anybody who wants to later, but just can try to visualize it. Yeah. Call me. Um, visualize your brain as seven parts. And when you tell a story the right way, let's say finger quotes, right way, all seven parts of your brain will light up like a pinball mm. machine. Yeah. Okay. When we use data, like before we were saying, like, put your shoes out or get, get your 21 day habit or whatever, that's kind of data. That's mm. not like a definitely a story. But with data, it lights up two of those seven areas. Wow. So that's the difference. So, story needs character, needs goal, needs obstacles. And then there's other levels or echelons of things that you can sort of put with that. But I think the important part is. The important part to know for marketers, for business people, for ourselves, for anybody watching children, is that when you tell the story a specific way, it'll light up all seven areas of the brain. And when that happens, our body produces the two most powerful hormones we can make, which are oxytocin, the pleasure hormone, and dopamine, which is what we get with drug highs and other types of things. So that is Netflix and binge explained in terms of we get into a show, we like the character, we want to see what they're going to do next. They're lighting up also their boom, boom, boom. We've got the brain, you know, cranial pinball going. And then we want more. We want more because we're getting that dopamine Mm. hit. We're getting that oxytocin hit. And then we're like, then if we're putting buttered popcorn with peanut M&Ms on top of that. I mean, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to stop?
1: <laughs> all right, so, and, and just to follow that one more step. So the fact that we're lighting up, and I'm going to go back to our, our lawyer, the fact that she's lighting up all seven parts of her brain would probably indicate that she's going to have more motivation to do what she wants to do. Is that
2: kind of absolutely it works? that? Yeah, absolutely. That's how it works. And then if we add in a couple of other layers of like the research there is out there about having fun, Right. So obviously, if we're producing these hormones and we're thinking back to the fake BFF I made up for the lawyer, her fake BFF, Becky, who's like, oh, my God, crazy Becky had me do this thing. Or she was always by my side when I was more interesting. Great. Like, right. And so now we're laughing. We're having fun. We're remembering the crazy time we went to Mexico with Becky or whatever whatever the story is. We're like, Oh, yeah, like I was this, I am this, Mm. this is inside me. I identify with my own self in this. And this is a much better track, by the way, to be Mm. playing in our heads, I would argue, than, you know, some of the negativity we're exposed to or some of the unconscious things as we're scrolling through our social media and getting... Lost in that track. Like, why not be thinking about these stories? And as I say, I mean, I'm not a neuroscience, but I would love to play one on TV or a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would say, nurturing that and like thinking about that and thinking how, you know, and sort of if you think about it as like old, uh, like VCR tapes, like thinking about this old fun memory and then how can I translate that to today? What can I mm-hmm. do with Becky? Now I want to be more interesting now, you know, what are those same things that could work or just, just even using your imagination to even think up how you could apply them. Listen, I
1: want to be, I always wanted to be a, a jazz drummer. So, uh, I may be, I may be resigning today and,
2: uh, you know. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't candy. be the first time. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, he has his drumstick right, right on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's clearly obvious parallels,
0: Christina, in terms of what you are talking about in terms of the power of story with film, the power of story as it relates to our neurological response in order to achieve our goals in our own life and, marketing and advertising. That's what we do, right? As marketers, as folks uh, in the advertising agency world, we sell our clients' stories for the most part, right? A a great commercial is just a 30-second story. Absolutely. In, In the same way that we're lighting up those seven elements that you mentioned in one way in terms of building that emotional connection. That's what we're trying to do in service of building a connection with a particular product or, or service, essentially. And so I think that there's some really interesting ways that we could potentially even look at applying what you're
2: talking about to the world that we live in every day as it relates to marketing. For sure. I mean, I did it. I did it the whole time. I was moonlighting the whole time I was running <laughs> marketing and, and and advertising departments. Yeah. 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 A lot of crossover, a lot of great creativity. And, you know, it's all about the ideas, right? We're, yeah. we're in the ideas business. Like everyone's in the sales business. Everyone's in the story business, but we're also in the in the business of being creative and fostering that with different things. And how, you know, just how do you do all of those things?
0: Yeah. You know, just the last question on, on the Oscars before we, we pivot over to, to your journey a bit more but sure. you know it's it, it's this is our, our first real Oscars that has taken place in the COVID-19 world essentially where you know the films that are being nominated for the most part were not viewed in a traditional way right you mentioned Netflix earlier that is a core channel along with other providers like HBO Max and such that now we're seeing big ticket movies being streamed right into people's homes. Obviously, that's a function of us not being able to gather in the traditional movie theaters with our lovely movie popcorn and big humongous bag of M and M's peanuts mixed in, which is my mix as well. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that that shift in viewership and moving from the theater to your living room has been really interesting in terms of the way that you even take in the movie, the way that you experience it. You're not experiencing it with other people, for example. It's really just within your own home. As we start to move towards a post-COVID world, do you think that that's here to stay?
2: Well, I think a lot of it is going to be here to stay because I think people have invested in their own home viewing experience. And I don't think that started just because of COVID. It may have been enhanced because of COVID, but we have access to such affordable, compared to even five or seven years ago, such affordable big screen TVs in our own home. Now, of course, they're not typically they're not the size of a movie, but you know, we can get a 50, 60, 70-inch TV in our home and then we're in our cozy couch where we, you know, can put our head back and we can add like a whole extra stick of butter on that popcorn and so <laughs> do we want to trade that? You know, I think the question is going to be do we want to trade whatever our home viewing experience that we've created for ourselves? Do we want to trade back or trade up or even trade sideways sometimes for that bigger mm in person with other people experience and i i don't know because i think the trend was actually moving towards home viewership certainly with netflix and other streaming services so it will be interesting to see i know there's a rise in theaters and going to theaters in asia pacific but where that will land after covid will be interesting to see So I want to talk a little bit, you talked a bit about your journey and and uh, uh,
0: uh, earlier to sort of kick us off and even how you pivoted in your own life with some of the major shifts that you've made. Uh, you also mentioned that you've been a screenwriter for 23 years, so probably since you're about two years old, based on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I know that reading your bio, I did my research, uh, you're working on uh, a thriller, which I'm excited to hopefully see. But many of the people that you've worked with are part of the CIA, the Marines, the police force, even folks that have written some pretty glowing reviews of the Hollywood approach of your book. You know, how did you build relationships with these people? I mean, they're, aren't they traditionally secretive, undercover? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, as a matter of fact, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it is, it's kind of a funny the, the way you ask that. And yeah. So yes, that's true. The former CIA agent who Valerie Plame, who, I, who I've worked with in the past and who wrote a lovely endorsement of the book. Actually, her secret, her identity was outed by the Bush administration. So it wasn't anything I did to infiltrate something. You know, the cat was out of the bag by the time I met her. But, yeah, no, um, meeting those people and, uh, yeah, and Catherine Volkovich from The Whistleblower and Luann Johnson from Dangerous Minds, the ex-Marine. Wow. Um, some really incredible people. You know, some people I have been introduced to, Valerie and I were introduced by a mutual friend, and we worked on, actually, another crime thriller project together that I wrote a treatment for, a, a like, an unsolved murder and that is quite prominent. So we had developed a working relationship, and it was just... You know, it's connections, like like everywhere else, right? Like, so I just um, I, I don't have any magic bullet or secret potion or anything like that. I perhaps I come to the table with a certain intensity. My um, I, I have worked in da- disaster recovery, and I really have great reverence for what these kind of people do in these roles. I would say I do have a certain, despite my Hollywood alliance do have a certain inability for BS. And so I think, I don't know, there's like some formula there with being yourself and being with people who have aligned purposes where you just connect. And you asked about the other two, Catherine Bolkovic and the uh, former UN peacekeeper and former Nebraska cop, and then Luann Johnson. I simply reached out to them for my book and just to see if I admire their work so much and what they've done and the choices they've made in their lives. And they were gracious enough to want to support my project. So that was like a, I guess I, I can write a decent pitch as well. Uh, <laughs> so water
0: Christina,
1: water. Uh, <laughs> did you always want to be a writer? I mean, maybe take a little page from the Hollywood approach. I mean, like literally, like how did this all start? I mean, you you've hung out with all these really interesting people yeah. writing about interesting stuff. I mean, take us back even further. How, I mean, how did this thing start?
2: Well, the Hollywood stuff actually started in Arizona. I was working with a recruiter and I had just left a position at 26 years old where I was in charge of a $2.3 million advertising budget. This recruiter was like, I was a copywriter and I had hosted like a talk show at this point, whatever she placed me in this director of advertising role where I was doing like media buys, ad directing, like just budgeting, all the things. And she's like, I think you can do it. Like you've been doing enough stuff. From what she saw sure like you, she was, you know
1: sentences and paragraphs, I think you can do all this other you stuff
2: you can run a you can run a publicly traded company and they by the way, they want to increase their stock by fifty percent go oh, do it God. so but she saw something in me mm. and, and I did the job successfully, and when I was ready for a move, I, I just happened to be telling stories in her office, and she was like, you have to write movies. And I was like, what? And, you know, and then understanding it's all spec work. So this woman stalked me for three mm. months until she got me into a class at Scottsdale Community College, wow. led by a UCLA dude who is still today a dear friend and mentor of mine. And it was just one of those life things that i guess yeah if i'm doing my own backstory analysis (laughs) i'd be like i have to listen to people uh talk to people be out there and when people are saying something i mean i resisted for a long i had the good uh resistance of the call thing going for a long time but i loved it my first day of class i'm like oh my god i'm hooked and i had no idea it would become my life philosophy really
1: but as a copywriter were you longing to be uh, a screenwriter or No,
2: I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm like we just in the small town Midwest like storytelling is how you entertain yourself in yeah, between what, your parents like
1: the, at the telling fish boil
2: Right, right. Exactly. From and the, fish oil. So, and the cheese know. curd fry. Yes. <laughs> you know, in between your parents telling you go play outside, when you get to be inside, you might be able to listen to or tell stories or maybe read or whatever. But I, I don't know. It was just, uh, I come from a very entertaining, shall we say, <laughs> character driven family. So I had the fortune, the great fortune of that as an influence growing up as well. It's interesting, though, because it kind of, again, goes back to the Hollywood
0: approach and something you were saying earlier in that folks don't always see it in themselves, right? I mean, you've literally written a book about this, and clearly it was something that you were had an inkling of an interest in, I mean, you were a copywriter, you didn't write as a job. And yet Uh even the notion of writing movies, somebody had to stalk you to put you into a class, you know? Yeah. That's really a lot. I mean, there's people that think that they know that they want to do something for years, you know, and, and never really even take that step. So the fact that, you know, somebody could even eventually convince you is also pretty cool.
2: Yeah. It's super interesting. And I hear that, like, that's kind of a theme with people, with readers and with, students who say like I had a reader I did an appearance at a book club recently and this reader was like yeah I was thinking about your exercise about strengths and she's like yeah I don't really know if I have any strengths really and I'm like what you know and to me it's like are you kidding I can name five just for meeting you in 10 minutes and then she's like but I was very curious about the book so I went around and asked my colleagues she's a teacher Mm. Uh, who just moved to, to Taiwan. And she's like, oh, I asked my colleagues and friends and they're like, you're a beast. Like, and she's someone who plays, I forgot what it is, Irish, some kind of Irish Tackle football, and then her next goal is to bike around Taiwan. (laughs) And like, she does these crazy things. She teaches small children and she misses them when she's not with them. I'm like, what? You know, so I'm like, you have all kinds of strengths, but there is a blind spot that I notice people have consistently. And so usually it tends to be with their strengths or with their flossomeness, which is why we call it flossomeness to make it a little bit easier. But there can be a blind spot. And it's like, again, observe not judge let's see where we can find the information we know it's there and expose some of that and see what you want to do with that whether it's you asha or or you rob or our lawyer friend that we made up today (laughs) you know there's information to be mined well thank you so much and uh, we want to round this out as
0: we do with all of our episodes with a piece of advice so you have Led many different lives in <laughs> in your what looks to be a short life, but you know we, you don't have to tell us your age. But <laughs> as I said, you look about twenty five. Uh, so <laughs> oh god, I love you. I
2: love the show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but you led many lives, and you know a lot of our listeners are in the world of marketing and, and advertising and, and leadership positions, and you know both. Marketing side, the creative side, the business side, and curious to understand what advice would you give to senior level marketers looking to Hollywood for inspiration for their plans?
2: For senior level marketers, it all depends on the audience. Okay, so for senior level marketers, I would say learn how to find the gold in your characters. And I guess that goes back a few layers. Your characters are your clients, your customer, your audience. And so figuring out how to locate the gold, whether that's talk, listen, journal, interview, identify it, identify the gold, mine it, shine it up. Because there's always, you know, and it's, it's sort of in the, in the vein of go deeper, go deeper into the character. There's more to be had there. There's more dimension. There's always more dimension. And then with that, I would say, keep in mind the three feet from gold rule that we heard about in Think and Grow Rich, where if you know the story, there was a guy, you know, was convinced he had gold on his land and he had all this expensive equipment and was digging and digging. And then he gave up, sold the land, and it turns out he was three feet from the gold. And so the next person found it.
1: Wow. That's That's deep.
2: deep. That's super deep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Christina, that was really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for, uh, I would say both your flawsomeness and your awesomeness. You've been a wonderful guest. So thank Thanks you so much, guys. Me. It
0: was a blast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And to all of our listeners, make sure that you follow us on LinkedIn, the Disruptor Series, as well as Instagram at the same handle. Christina, thank you again so much. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast. Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.